What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. Welcome to the 15th episode of The Crossroads, a weekly financial show for our generation. And for the listeners, welcome back to the Long Game Podcast. We've got our resident crypto expert, Adam Blumberg, back on for another episode. And this week, we're going to dive more into NFTs and Web3. But before we dive in, for those who missed the last episode, Adam, if you don't mind doing just a quick little intro and talking about just what you're building with the CDAA and Planner DAO and Interaxis and whatever else you got going on yeah it's a it's a big list and i uh i I do feel the exhaustion but we uh i started out as a financial advisor certified financial planner uh had my own ria uh, with with my partner ron in texas and uh, a few years ago we got into crypto and when i say into that means we bought a little bit traded a little bit i went down the proverbial rabbit hole we both did uh learning all about blockchain technology and getting all excited about it and then with the growth of DeFi, decentralized finance, got really excited, launched a YouTube channel uh, called Interaxis to explain it. <clears throat> and now uh, that YouTube channel uh, finally has over 8,000 subscribers. Uh, hmm. And we, we just explained crypto and DeFi. So earlier this year, we launched the Certified Digital Asset Advisor hmm. course and certification. So financial advisors can learn about crypto, DeFi, and Learn most importantly, learn how to make it part of their practice, which includes uh, not only learning the technology, learning you know how Bitcoin works, how wallets work. We talk about investment thesis, conversations you have with clients, how to go through regulatory and compliance issues, what all the different custodial platforms are, meaning wh- where do you hold the crypto? How do you you know how do you help your clients with that? How do you keep it safe? Um, we we go through all that. It's a six week course. We've gone through six cohorts now this year. 135 advisors gone through the course. Uh, and you know, we'll start up again in 2022. We'll start cohorts in, in mid-January again. And uh, we gave that to Planner DAO, as you know, which is a DAO, a decentralized organization for financial advisors, where we're trying to give advisors the tools and the education necessary to to compete and and to be a part of the uh, crypto and DeFi ecosystem that's being built. Yeah, and. And for any advisors watching, like I can confidently say that the CDAA course and just like the live classes and everything is the best crypto education I've got so far. And I highly recommend it. Took it earlier this year with, I think it was like the second cohort and it was awesome. We're building out more course material and everything right now. So super excited for what we got in store with all of that on the back end, but I feel like we could probably record an episode every day talking about this stuff with just how new and how fast the space is moving. 
Um, but just for a little context before we dive into it, like if you've seen NFTs, but you aren't really sure what they are, like you've probably seen headlines like the NFT that sold for $69 million earlier this year, or just like the pixelated characters or apes. And while those are NFTs, like that is just one style and one use case. And that would, that would almost be like saying every car is red just because you've seen several red cars in a row. And we're not, we're not trying to sell you on the fact that these cartoon characters have value because 99% of them don't, but NFTs have a lot of different use cases, which we're going to dive into here. Um, but I think the best place to start is just, I mean, one, understanding the, ac the acronym of non-fungible token. So just kind of explaining what non-fungible is. And I'd like to hear just your explanation on that. And I feel like that's going to lead us into a lot of different rabbit holes and talking about digital ownership, all that. Okay. Uh, so non-fungible token, NFT stands for non-fungible token. And of course, to compare it, you have to figure out what, what is a fungible token to figure out what a non-fungible token is. So something like something is fungible if, you, if I can exchange one for one and there's virtually no difference. So one dollar, a dollar is fungible. My dollar is the same as your dollar is, is the same as Tom's dollar. Everyone's dollar is the same. A dollar is fungible. A Bitcoin is fungible. An ETH is fungible in that they're all the same. Um, so most of the tokens, most of the crypto cryptographic tokens that people would exchange or trade are fungible tokens, meaning you create a bunch of, you know, whatever the, the protocol is, that token, and you can trade it. And, and each one is equally the same as another. Non-fungible tokens now uh, might uh, are not necessarily all the, the same. So an example would be I can create a token that represents a work of art. And that work of art could be digital. That work of art could be a, a real work of art, like the one I have on the wall behind me. I, could, uh, I can create a token that represents that. And so that is what non-fungible means. That one token, that one of one, or one of one, even if it's one of 100, those 100 are not necessarily equal because the number one of 100 is different than the number 99 of 100. Okay, so each one is, is, is pretty unique. They can be representing the same work of art, whether it could be, it's digital or real, or, but one could be number one and one could be number 100. Um, so I will stop there for now because I'm sure we, we can go down all sorts of different rabbit holes, but I'll stop there for now in the, in the definition of what fungible versus non-fungible means. Yeah, Thomas, I know, I know you had a couple of good questions to kind of play off that. Um, I think, I think that's kind of an interesting start. Cause I think from the very beginning, people don't even understand that base point, but like, as we build off that, what really makes NFTs valuable? Like, why is this kind of started to become a real thing in art or music or whatever future evolutions are going to be? Uh, it becomes a real thing because there are partially because there's a, a limited supply, right? So a limited supply of anything at least draws some sort of interest, right? Now I can say there's a, a limited supply of my coffee cup that sits on my desk and it's a one of one that doesn't necessarily make it valuable. Okay. But, it, but now you start to get down that road of, of limited supply and there can only be one of them. Um, we, we have, um, gotten this, this kind of definition of non-fungible token, meaning it's some sort of digital art trade. And you mentioned things like crypto punks and, and bored apes and all that, where people have minted a picture 
and each picture has is basically a has a token attached to it that says we can verify of course and and the big part about this on chain or on a blockchain means i can verify with complete accuracy that this is the only one of these there is only one of of this particular board ape or this particular crypto punk or this particular creature or whatever the nft is i can verify i can go to the blockchain and verify there is only one of them so if anyone has ever you know, collected art and you have to get it verified and, and authenticated to make sure that it's, it's, um, it's authentic and it's real and there's only a certain number of them, that's a whole painstaking process where some expert has to go and verify it and they, you know, they have to look through a catalog and all that. And, and you know, I know that because my mom just went through this process with a bunch of artwork she has and it, it's a expensive and painstaking process. We're utilizing the blockchain technology to verify that, that this is the one or this, this is one of a certain number. And therefore we don't need uh, some sort of outside auditors to tell us to verify the authenticity of this particular one. So you ask why it might have value. Part of the reason it has value is of course, because of the scarcity. And then as we talked about in the last podcast, something has value because we all say it has value. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point you made because when I talk to friends or other people about NFTs, their whole thing is like, well, that's just stupid because I could just screenshot that picture and then I'm going to have the same thing. But like, the, I bet those people are the same people that wouldn't go spend $50,000 on an art piece that's brand new. They would be somebody like, hey, I'll get the print that's 20 bucks and I'll go buy a frame and put it into it, which that side of it is completely fair. But I think people look into this world and say, I don't value that. So it's stupid. But you could apply that to pretty much any single business idea or any product you could buy out there. There are people that find value from it that are people that don't. And the scarcity play into this too is like, hey, I want to buy this board ape. There's only one of them ever. It's mine. And then I, what I've seen, like I, I'm way less in this world than you two, but I've seen when people do that, like the people in the in the board yacht club just go after that. Like they're just like, you screenshotted that, you don't own the ownership. Like there's kind of like a repercussion of being that person that replicates it. Cause also when you own that, right, you're the only one that can sell that on anything. So you can make t-shirts, you could do anything, but nobody else could legally go do that. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. That's not necessarily tied specifically to all NFTs. Like some of them are copy written and mm. you can't necessarily just go out and copy it, but like the board ape one, which you still can't technically just like copy the project, like all 10,000, even though people have already done it on Solana, but like Jack Butcher, he took, cause I think he has like five, 10 of them. He took it and just kind of like slightly altered it almost like Virgil Abloh does with Off-White and like the partnership with Nike or whatever. He just added like his signature thing to it. Then it was a new NFT because he, the, when you own the Board Ape Yacht Club NFT, you have the um, like media right to it and you can use it in music videos or whatever on that side. Right. You, you can license it. And what we're playing with now is this is these different ideas of ownership, different ideas of control, how income is going to flow. So, yes, I, I might say, man, it, it's silly that someone would pay, you know, several million dollars for a digital uh, piece of art that looks like a, a monkey, um, which, you know, I, I'm not into that. I probably wouldn't do that personally, just like I personally don't own a whole lot of art. Um, I can make the same argument as you as you mentioned that. I can, I can go buy a print of the Mona Lisa. That doesn't make it the Mona Lisa. That makes it a, a print of it. There's only one of those. And there's no way I'm ever going to be able to buy that. 
So the, the idea of ownership, of authenticity, and then as you said, Trayton, what you can do once you have it eventually, that's where we're, we're getting into the, the really fun, cool stuff that NFTs are going to give us because it, it, the, authentic, the, the authenticity, the scarcity, plus the ownership, the fact that I have it in my wallet and therefore I can, I can license it out if I want to. I can license that image because I'm the one who owns it. So if it ends up on in a, a movie, if it ends up in a video, if it ends up on an advertisement, I can get paid every time that, that advertisement runs because of the fact that I own that, the, the rights to that image. That's really, that's really powerful. I mean, how much would you pay to have rights to the, the Nike logo? Right? That would be incredibly powerful. So think of it that way. People have, and again, the, the, between the board apes, between the crypto punks, they grew to the value that they grew because others decided they had value above and beyond all the other NFT, you know, PFP projects that are out there. Um, there, there might eventually be some others that get there. And most of the other NFT projects that are like that, that digital art are trying to get to that realm. They're trying to get to the ones that are, um, that are known and verified and everyone wants to have those and they haven't quite gotten there yet but there are some that probably will and so when people are looking to buy them they're going okay who's the team what kind of licensing deals are they going to do what else are, the, are they going to do in the background to to add to the value of my nft above and beyond just minting it and selling it um, so that's you know we're, what we're learning is it's going beyond just the digital piece of art into what can I do with that digital piece of art by virtue of the fact that I own the only one of it. And I can prove that without it beyond the shadow of a doubt because it is verified on chain. Yeah. And I think, I think like for it, for it to have value, value has to be created in some form. And in this space, like that value can come in many different forms and, I mean, I would say like even with V friends, like Gary Vaynerchuk's project, like there's a lot of value in the real world tied to that thing, which helps drive the value of the NFT because there is real world application. Like you get to go to his conference for the next three years and he's given away things to NFT holders. And I think the creator can help drive like a lot of the value of the project. Like his his project is just like little sketches that he did with a sharpie on a piece of paper but like the cheapest one right now is i think like fifty thousand dollars and there's just a whole lot of value being driven on a lot of different sides on his project one because he's he's a successful entrepreneur a lot of people know him and a lot of people have wanted to invest in him as a person for the past decade and they've never had the chance to but because he can now create this project and it can almost kind of act like a stock in him because he's the creator, he controls the entire project. Then it's just him creating the value at that point. And the value is based on what people believe that he can create from it. Um, and then like another real world thing is like one of the NFTs you own, the creature NFT, there's a whole community on the back end of it. And Shaq was in the same group chat that you were in, right? Yep. Yeah. Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal bought one, uh, made his, um, his PFP, his profile picture on Twitter, uh, the creature, and it just set everything off. Everyone got all excited because Shaq is involved. And of course, Shaq is the, you know, he, he sponsors or, or he endorses everything. So you wondered at that point where creatures were going to show up. 
Uh, and so the the price, you know, all of a sudden went from, you know, like one ETH to four ETH all the, uh, overnight because Shaq bought several of them. Um, so that that's really what you're looking for is can the team and the project grow it? And look, I, I'm not a big NFT investor. I don't really know how the how, how the value works all that well. They're much better, much more versed NFT creators. What I get excited about is the infrastructure that's being built and what we can do. So when we start talking about the the uh, the ownership piece, we start talking about the the copyright ability, the royalties that can be built from it. That is when it gets extremely exciting for me because now yeah. we're talking about owning assets. Yeah, I think that's the next part that we we should go into is like. I think a lot of people talk about NFTs and how it can be give back more to the creator economy and artists and musicians. But really quickly before we do that, we've talked about minting a lot, but we haven't really defined what minting is. And I know a lot of people ask that same question of like, what does it really even mean to mint an NFT? Uh, so to, I mean, look, to, to mint an NFT, you can mint any sort of Ethereum token or any token on any of these blockchains. And it's just, you know, deciding, okay, uh, I, and I don't know the full process for an NFT, especially when it's artwork and, you know, there's a hundred of them or a thousand of them or 10,000 and they're generative art or something. But it essentially means to, sit, to, to basically stop and say, this is the one. We, we have a, a token, a cryptographic token uh, etched into the blockchain, essentially, that represents this piece of art. So it's like that, the state of the creation, pretty much. Yes, it, it is. Yeah, it's essentially like I... I painted it and it's done. I'm finished with it. Now it's it, it, it's complete and I've put it out there on the market. That's the minting process. Of course, it's just done uh, electronically. Yeah. No. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So now to go back to where we were, like you talked about how this is going to kind of like what you're excited about is royalties and all of that type of world. So like how does, how does NFTs kind of bring back to the creators and allow them to have royalties and make more money? And I guess more money is, I guess, subjective, but they can make money on every sale type thing. There are several ways you can do that. So if you all, uh, let's say the, the three of us decided we're going to create an NFT set um, and we could mint those. And if it becomes wildly popular because we're so good at what we're doing, marketing, or so good at, at getting them out there in the public, uh, generating some sort of interest, having royalty interest, whatever it might be, we might say, we, we might launch them. We might launch, you know, 5,000 of them, people buy them. But what we code in there is we see, we, we put in the code when we mint them is anytime they are exchanged for, you know, for money on an exchange like OpenSea, we get 5% of whatever the fee, of whatever they're exchanged for, whatever the dollar amount they're exchanged for. So what we want is more and more people to keep exchanging them over and over for higher and higher prices because we continue to get paid every time that happens. It's mm -hmm. not like we sell them once. You see a lot of like starving artists, you know, that sell their painting once for 50 bucks and then they become wildly popular and that painting goes for 20 million and that artist didn't get to capitalize on any of it. They only get to capitalize yeah. when they first sell. This is a way that they can continue to receive some interest based on the, the, the continued growth in value and the continued, uh, I guess, movement or trading or whatever asset they've created. I think that just makes so much sense. Like, I, I feel like as you think about the future, like the world that we exist in today where that artist could only get that $20 or $50, whatever used in the example, when yeah. with like the resellers are the ones that truly get it. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but so I, I think a lot of what I hear about the future is more in like the, the music industry but with NFTs. Can you talk a little bit about how like the use case there? If, yeah. So 
in, in the music industry, what we've seen, and, and you can see where it'd be wildly important, right? If, if the NFT I have is my uh, a song or a, a record or something, I can potentially mint that and allow someone who, who's a fan of mine or, or an investor or something to purchase that. And they can get, we, we can code it to where that person is going to get paid royalties every time the song is played. Right, that that person can own a piece of the the copyright, which means they own a piece of the value of that song. And the value of a record is the the roy the you know future value or the present value of all the future income streams from that particular record. And all those income streams could be I get paid a you know a few pennies every time it plays on Spotify. Well, if I have a, a favorite you know artist that I like, you know a musician that I like, and and they're putting out a song and they and they're like, look, I, I need to fund this whole thing and they can sell a piece of their records and we encode it to where every time they get paid a little bit of it goes to me because I invested in it. Well, that, that is how I can participate in the income stream. That's how that particular musician potentially can raise some money up front by doing what they do, which is art. It's no different than painting. They're, they're creating art, they're creating music. Why shouldn't they be able to sell that up front, but also get to participate in the, the ongoing? If yeah. they've built up a network of followers and that network of followers is because they like that music, they like their music, they can focus on doing what, what you guys are so good at, which is <laughs> the you know, social media and marketing and, and building up my network. And then I go, look, I'm releasing these songs. I'm going to you know, work deals with Spotify and Pandora and Apple and Amazon and everything. I need some money up front to go do that. I'm going to sell a little bit of the royalty to it. And therefore, every time they get played, you guys can participate in a little piece of it. Yeah, and I think like the music industry is one of the most interesting for NFTs. And even on the like the fan side of it, is where I first just kind of thought about like the use cases for NFTs. Like if I was, I mean, if, if NFTs were a thing back in like 2015, 2016, I probably would have bought like a juice world NFT when he was on SoundCloud before he even blew up. Cause I really liked his sound. And what's interesting with NFTs is a lot of people like proving their fandom of artists early on and then when they blow up then they hate them whatever they sold out but if you have an nft and you're investing in that artist early on and then they blow up you want them to blow up because your nft is probably going to be more valuable and you can also social signal that you supported them early on and then back on the artist side then they can give whatever they want to their fans through that nft that thing could be backstage passes for life or there could be they could send them a physical copy of a vinyl every time they release an album like there's just so many different things with it and i could i could keep going down that rabbit hole all day right and there's right and there's a company that uh, called royal that just just raised 55 million dollars there in Mm -hmm. austin and there this is exactly what they're working on is music uh you know music creators being able to uh, tokenize their work and be able to participate in, in the music industry is one of the, the, the most ripe for being upset because you have, you know, the producers and the, and the, um, the promoters and everyone getting paid along the way. And we all know that the artist ends up getting kind of the least they, they get kind of left in the back because everyone else has to move the, the supply chain mm-hmm. down. And so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of upsetting to happen. It happened once when Apple came out with iTunes, right? That was the first time because an artist could literally release one song and make money from one song. They didn't have to do a whole album. 
um, and and it could be sold, you know, virtually. It could be sold digitally, and they can make a tremendous amount of money from that over and over and over again without having to do a whole lot. Now, you you have artists that can be totally independent that can release records. Um, they can kind of do their own promotion and they can participate in a lot more of it and they can raise the money up front. They don't have to get a loan or, or get backed by a producer or something who then is going to take most of the profits. So there, it's definitely an industry that needs something like this. And we have the technology to do it from an advisor, from a financial advisor, or financial investing perspective. Think about how game changing this is that, that you have clients that might be able to later invest in royalty streams from music that's you've never been able to invest in that unless you're like paul mccartney or something you, you can't invest in that unless you're the one who originally created the music or the producer now as an investor you're going to be able to participate in the royalties and it's not just always about being a fan you know such, such a, a fan of some musician that you go i want to buy this early on i want to support them early on like it's, it's some sort of kickstarter campaign it can be you know, some band I like is coming out with a new album and they're, they're wildly popular. And as part of my portfolio, I want to put some money into that because I'm fairly certain that there's going to be a really good income stream coming from it. That's where it also gets exciting. It's not just finding them early. It's the ones that are already established. How much can I make on that kind of investment? Yeah. Like if, if Mariah Carey released all I want for Christmas is you as an NFT this month, I would buy it and hold that for the rest of my life. The royalties on that thing would be incredible. But like what you like just to touch touch on the music thing before we transition is I'm in a or I own an NFT. It's called Lost Boy and they have a whole community discord. It's kind of built around mental health. And I didn't even know this when I first bought the NFT, but the creators are actually musicians and they have their own independent music label. And with the NFTs, they're they're not just JPEGs, they're um, like MP4s or whatever, like there's an audio behind it. Mm-hmm. And there's a unique um, like beat to every single NFT. And those are beats that they've created from their label. So they're getting like kind of free distribution off that. And they're also building a community to release music to in the future. And I just thought that was like the coolest setup. And they're trying to like build it as like a streetwear brand as well off the back of just this NFT project. Um, So I thought that was a really cool, like actual real world use case that's happening right now. Um, But I was... Well, I think there's also cool things too of like social justice causes people are doing through NFTs. <laughs> like the scale and the growth, yeah, goes to mental health uh, organizations or, or things like that. And I think more people are, are getting behind it. It's like that's an easy use case to get people behind it as well. Yeah. And it's yeah. like they it makes, especially charities that are on blockchain or accepting crypto payments, because then you can literally see when, like Jack Butcher did one and for every NFT you bought, like the money went straight to families in Afghanistan through this charity. And because the charity accepted crypto, you could buy it on the site. And then that money would get sent directly into the charity's wallet. And you can see the money in the charity's wallet because of the transparency of blockchain. Um, So I think that's super cool. And that's, that's going to revolutionize a lot in the philanthropy and the charity space. Um, 
But I was just kind of curious, like if you've seen any other developments in industries like real estate or just anything like that, that has more kind of behind the scenes NFT workings that could kind of play out in the future. Oh, sure. So we, we actually worked with a company in uh, that's out of Dubai. Uh, and, and there's a company here in the U.S. that does this called 4K that is creating NFTs that represent real world luxury goods. So in this case, it's, it's like Rolex watches or luxury handbags or something. And because what, what they're seeing is a lot of people want to invest in those items. They want to invest in, in Rolex and not because they want to wear the watch, but because they think it's going to go up in value. Just mm-hmm. like people invest in art, just like people invest in anything wow. else. Why not invest in that as an asset class? Uh, and it's just a hard thing to do usually because if I buy a, you know, $150,000 watch, well, then I have to somehow store the $150,000 watch. And if eventually I want there to be a marketplace for it, I have to figure out how to sell it. And do I sell it back to the jeweler who's going to have to mark it up? Or do I find some sort of online marketplace where I have to advertise the fact that I have a $150,000 watch, which just invites someone to come in my house and steal it? Or, or, Or do I have to custody it somewhere else you know, send it to my jeweler's office, in which case they're probably going to charge me for it. So what, what we, what they're kind of designing is, Bill, is someone will custody the watch and create the NFT out of it. So I own the watch by virtue of the fact that I own the token. It sits in my wallet. And then there is an online marketplace and we can easily transfer ownership of that watch by transferring the token. So I can get on the marketplace. Here's the watch. By the way, the NFTs, you know, the, the blockchain is going to store all the information about the watch, pictures of it, the fact that it's authentic, the, the place that it's stored, everything is going to be stored on there. So anyone who's going to buy it can verify the authenticity of it and then they can decide to buy it. And I might, you know, make some profit on it, but I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to custody it. So we are seeing, you know, that NFTs being used for that purpose because I can get the watch in my, I, I can custody the watch if I'm the jeweler or a, or a vault or something. I can custody the watch, issue the NFT, and then it can be traded on a, uh, on a marketplace for people to invest in. We're seeing those kinds of, of offerings for NFTs because it, what it means is I can custody, I can watch, I can, I can watch the market. I can, um, I can find some sort of price discovery there. And it's a lot easier than keeping some sort of, uh, some, some sort of other database where someone's going to have to be the gatekeeper of the database. Mm-hmm. In this case, the Ethereum blockchain is the database. And, the, and I can prove that I own it by virtue of the fact that I have my ETH wallet. It holds this NFT and that's how I prove that I own it. And because of that, I can, I'm the one who can go sell it. Oh. I, I'm the only one who can sell it because I'm the one who owns the NFT. In this scenario you're talking about, is this more one of one? So different like than Rally Road, who's like, hey, here's a luxury good. We're going to turn it into individual shares of a stock and buy it there. Or is this just like that same idea, next evolution and using blockchain instead? Well, of like, no, no, it's, they're, they're the same thing. They're the same thing. So what Rally Road does uh, and some of these others is they're just fractionalizing it. Okay, so they are, uh, in technical terms, they're they they can make an NFT. So I can make an NFT of of a watch. I can make an NFT of an Onus Wagner baseball card. Whatever I want to do. Here's the one of one. Then I fractionalize that, meaning I create a thousand tokens that represent a one one thousandth interest in that particular NFT, and I go sell those tokens. Now, what happens is all those tokens I created are fungible. The one is, is the same as the 500, right? And I own a piece of it. It's like owning a share of stock. By the way, not legal in the US unless you're a credit investor. 
So you, you technically cannot do that or invest in it. That's considered a security at that point. Now you've created a security when you fractionalize it and try to sell owner, fractionalized ownership. In the US, you've created a security. So if you try to do that here, you're, you're more than likely uh, breaking the law. But it is something that people are doing where they're selling fractional ownership. And the token, the, the fact that we have this blockchain technology, these Web3 wallets, these tokens, that just makes it easier for us to track. It's not like the token itself has value. The token represents my ownership or represents my control. And that's what has value. That's what I'm selling. The asset is the asset. The asset could be a digital piece of art, in which case it is a bunch of pixels. Technically, it's the ownership of it that's a really important thing. Okay, the ownership of the car, the ownership of the Rolex, the ownership of the song, that's the important thing. The song is not the NFT. The ownership of the, of the song is the NFT. Yeah, and I think, I think the adoption of digital ownership, like that's going to be the, I mean, that has to be the thing that kind of flips the switch into more things in the real world happening with NFTs and happening on blockchain. Um, right. But this this might be a stupid question but we're we're all here to learn um but is there a chance that stocks could be nfts one day like we we had original stock certificates at some point like would there be a benefit of i mean there would be a lot of hurdles to jump over but like a benefit of changing from how stocks are currently traded and bought and sold right now to them being an nft like is there any benefit or would that just be worthless at that point? Um, look, I, I think all stocks, I think all equities, assets will eventually be traded on some sort of blockchain-based uh, exchange block, because then you have instant settlement, you have instant ownership. Whether or not they're called an NFT, uh, they probably won't because my share of Apple is the same not, as your share fungible. of Apple. It yeah. won't be non-fungible. It's a fungible token. You'll, they'll just create an Apple token. So that won't necessarily be an NFT That'll just be a, a token that's mm. called Apple token uh, that, that'll be exchanged. So that's, uh, but, but what it shows you is the, the way we denote and the way we track ownership of assets is changing. And that's what, look, look we, we've had a hard time explaining to a lot of people why Bitcoin has value, the fact that it's limited. And they're like, oh my gosh, like how can there only be 21 million? You can mint as many of these as you want. As soon as we moved into NFTs and collectibles, especially when you have like NBA top shots, which is, you know, collectible moments and, and people equate that to things like baseball cards and basketball cards. And I know how many there are and therefore that drives the value. Then people started to get it. Then they started to understand the idea of scarcity and the value of scarcity and the fact that we can now track it. I can verify that this is one of a certain number or one of one or that I can only mint a certain number. And by the way, I can go to the Ethereum blockchain or whichever blockchain and verify how many there are. Now we've gotten really important. Once you do that, we can go down all sorts of more rabbit holes and go, okay, if I can verify that and it's in my wallet, meaning it's, a, it's, it's digital, it's cryptographic, which means uh, ownership can be transferred. It can be wrapped in a smart contract. Now, can I use it as collateral? Can I use my CryptoPunk as collateral to borrow money? If I have a CryptoPunk I bought for $5,000 and it's worth $3 million right now and I need to go buy a house, I don't want to sell it to buy a house. I'd like to borrow against it. It's an asset. So who's going to lend me money against the value of my CryptoPunk, right? And, and we can do that because I can now wrap that value in a smart contract. And if I don't pay my bill, whoever it is gets to take my punk. 
And there was news this week about a bunch of places, like this is the first evolution of like regular banks being able to say, hey, you can take loans against your Bitcoin, which then eventually yep. that's just the start of that rabbit hole and getting to that point of exactly. traditional banks too. That's just traditional. There's already other places that are more forward thinking that are starting this. Exactly. So there, there's, um, there's so many more that are trying, that are starting to go down there and they're having to figure out from a technological perspective, from a risk perspective, what all is out there, who, you know, what's the market like, what happens if the value drops precipitously on any of these, yeah, what right. happens if, if my, if my ape, my, my ape is worth, you know, a hundred ETH, but the value of ETH goes down 10%. Then, then what has happened? What, what is my collateral now worth? And how do we custody, uh, you know, all those things? How do we keep it safe and secure? And how do we understand the value? But you're going to see more and more of the crypto and DeFi companies offering those loans probably before traditional banks will, uh, because banks are not in the business of taking on that kind of risk. And they're certainly not in the yeah. business of being forward thinking. So yeah. the, the, that's what we're going to see eventually, because once we start denoting ownership in a way that it can be transferred relatively easily, and it can be verified and their scarcity and, and all, and, and we can have, you know, a price discovery and everything. Now we can do things, we, we can participate in the financial system with it. We can have lending against it. We can have borrowing. We, we can have all these, these um, aspects of it. We can have fractionalization of it. We can have, we, mm -hmm. we can have it as part of my portfolio. What it, it's, it's going to be mind blowing what that is. Imagine if, if um, uh, whoever it might be, if, if Jack Butcher or something sold, off some of the in some of the, you know tokenized the income he'll receive because he sold the rights to use his his punk or his ape in some sort of TV show and he sold those rights. Well, now there's an income stream that I can invest in potentially, and yeah. and as an investor, as an, a financial advisor, income streams are really interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. and one thing that I thought about a couple months ago and. I don't even know if this is necessarily like ethical as a person, but like someone who has student loan debt, if like, I'll just say they have a hundred thousand, if they wanted to issue four NFTs, $25,000 a piece, and they put in the smart contract, whatever, which they would have to be paid by their employer through crypto. But like, if you invest in these four, or one of these NFTs, I will pay you back. 10% of my income for the first five years out of college. Like, I think that's super interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of problems that could come with that, but yeah, that's, that's just like, right. It's a possibility. There's securities issues and, and such that when you're selling things like that, but we're going to keep developing it because it's an efficient way to move money throughout the economy. It's mm -hmm. an efficient, because we've talked about this before, the entire reason for a financial ecosystem, for the global ecosystem, is to move money from where it's less efficient to where it's more efficient. And that's a more efficient use of money. And, and we are going to figure out how to do it now that we have the technology. Remember, was it two years ago when Spencer Dinwiddie uh, signed his NBA contract and decided he was going to tokenize part of it and sell it off um, we, which they didn't really allow him to do, but he has started now down that road of, of having players that are essentially tokenizing their content. They're basically selling uh, their income stream and we can verify their income stream because it's coming from the NFL or it's coming from the NBA or wherever. We know how much they're making. They can sell pieces of that and I might want to invest in that. And what they're what he tried to tell people is, look, I've got a third year option on my contract. If I want to stay, then you know what you're getting. If I've played really well over the next two years, 
and I get to I, I get to re-sign for a higher amount, you get to participate in that as well. So now your interest, your vested interest is you really want me to be awesome. And I really want to be awesome because I get a bigger contract and all my fans want me to be awesome because then they get to participate in more. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I and, feel and look, like- we, we, we heard a lot about it. Sorry to cut you off, but we heard a lot about it uh, earlier this year when the, the NCAA, you know, allowed the, the NIL, the what naming um, image likeness, image likeness for NCAA for, for college athletes. And we heard a lot of them going the NFT route because they said, I can sell my image or, or sell my likeness on NFTs. And that's a really inexpensive and easy way to capitalize on this. And we actually talked to a few people that were looking to do this, especially if they're, we, we talked to some, some dads, honestly, but especially if their kids are in sports that are not as well recognized overall, they're not the ones that get publicized like football and basketball, but if their kids are in some other sport, but, but a sport that has an avid following, well, they might have, there might be people that want to buy that name image and likeness for that particular sport, that particular following. Yeah. That's that sense. Yeah, I feel like we covered like a lot today, pretty much everything that we wanted to get covered. So again, we appreciate you coming on. For everybody that didn't go to the last episode, there is a part one that I think we're going to do about four parts of this, um, just the crypto and everything down this rabbit hole. Um, but Adam, we really appreciate you coming on again and sure. sharing your time with us. We, I really yeah. think this was awesome. So thanks everybody. Please rate and subscribe and come back next week as we talk a little bit more about DeFi and staking and all this stuff. Thank you.